Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You are listening to Revolver Podcast. Welcome to Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. Now this week, Denzel Washington rides tall in the saddle in The Magnificent Seven. It's a remake of a remake. And 55-year-old Eddie Murphy stars in a very thoughtful, quiet film. He plays a personal chef and a good friend, and his name is Mr. Church. And I'm wine expert Haley Hamilton Cogill. The moonshine and whiskey may be the perfect pairing for any Western. For Magnificent Seven, we'll toast with wines from California's gold mining towns in the Sierra foothills. And for Mr. Church, a Napa Valley Cabernet from a winemaker who started her career not in wine, but as a chef, winemaker Mia Klein. Okay, we sat through The Magnificent Seven the other night together. Um, I'm a big fan of the old one, which yeah. is 1960, but it goes all the way back to 1954 with the great uh, Kurosawa from Japan who made Seven Samurai. Right. You know, Seven Samurais go into a village, and, and they have to protect because these bad guys are going to come revenge. and take all their crops away. Yes. And they're all going to starve. And then when they remade the film, uh, I think it was the last name is Jim Sturgis was the director of the 1960 film, with Steve McQueen and Yul Brynner and Robert Culp and— God, James Coburn. I mean, there, it, it's, it's really one of the, and that Marlboro man, yeah. the Marlboro man theme song. Yeah. Um, is, is in there. And that, that's been an iconic film for me. And that director also did, the, he also did, uh, The Great Escape. So the same director did The Great Escape and The Magnificent Seven. So I have this all in my head of, it's long and it's very character driven, yes. but when the bad guys come, they're super bad. And, you know, you have this image in your head. So I always worry about remakes of movies that I love because right. I, I don't think they really should be done. Right. But they are what they are. The remake of True Grit was pretty good. I, I thought I liked by, it. by the Coen brothers yeah. a lot. Yeah, a lot. So this one comes along by Antoine Fuqua, who's directed Denzel before, and you have this obviously intentional diverse cast. Mm-hmm. And so Denzel's the tall guy in the saddle. He rides in the town. A woman comes up to him. Her husband's been killed. The, the town's been half wiped out. The bad guy is what's his name? What's Peter Skarsgård. Peter Skarsgård, and Who, he's, like he always just plays. Bless his heart, he just always plays a bad guy in play, some sort of way or another. He plays it all the time, and he's really he's re, he's, he's really just bad. he's really bad and really evil. And in fact, the opening scene of this movie, there's just a really high body count. It's complete. It's violent. Yeah, it's super violent. Before you even see the 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 before the title rolls, you you before, are before, I think fifty people are dead. What sets up the opening scene, which I kind of actually. <laughs> liked yeah. as a movie um, and then it sets it up so Denzel rides into town and he compiles a group of ragtag good, <laughs> renegades you know they're all bad guys playing good guys you know they're gonna, there's bad guys that are trying to redeem themselves and play good guys huh. and they've got, a, they've got a Native American with a bow and arrow and they've yeah. got a 
an Asian guy who does martial arts and they've got a, a guy from Mexico who's really good with a gun. And then he's got, uh, what's, what's, who's the sidekick in this film? I'm trying to think of his name. The guy we liked so much. Ethan Hawke. Uh, well, not, well, Ethan Hawke's one of the guys too in the film. That's right. Uh, Chris Pratt. Oh yeah. Who's and, hilarious. And he's got a lot of fun. And Vincent D'Onofrio is kind of a grizzly Adams yeah, kind yeah. of guy. So I like all this and I, I think it's kind of fun, but it's like cliff notes to me. It's not a fleshed out movie. It just goes boom, boom, boom. It's a, Kind of a modern day take on westerns, even though it takes place in the 1800s. It's a fictitious town. We find out later that it's shot in Baton, Baton Rouge, Rouge and in New Mexico. <laughs> well, of course, that's where the gold mining happened, Baton Rouge. <laughs> but yeah, it, it really is kind of a Sierra, you know, right. kind of kind of thing. But uh, and also, if you look closely in the film, the art direction and the background, of the mountains all look fake in the yeah, movie. Yeah, it all looks completely CGI all, done. Yeah, yeah, which if they shot in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, would, sense. it <laughs> wouldn't have uh, you know foothills with snow. You'd all have swampland. Having, I'm going to say a million things that I think are kind of wrong with this film, but it's a real entertaining movie and a kind of had fun watching. I think it. it's a fun, yeah, it's a fun movie. I think that it's a, you know, there's some really bad westerns. There, there's some bad yeah. western films trying to be done today. And this is kind of a, yeah, it's just kind of a cute, fun. Every, you can kind of tell they all had a really good time making the movie, kind of, kind well, of thing. Denzel's a major presence in a movie for me, mm-hmm. and when he rides in that saddle, it's a, it's. It, I don't, don't want to call it iconic, but I want to, I want to look up to him because you do have the movie because mm-hmm. he's in charge of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think if I was a kid going to this movie, but I'm going to make something statement about the rating. The rating's PG-13. Bridget Jones was R. This huh. is PG-13, and that's the difference between British films and American films. Is we can kill thousands of people in movies we can just mow them down right and it'll get a pg-13 but if you drop the f-bomb or you have a little bit of nudity you're an r yeah and it's it's really weird to me to watch this film and think that this is a pg-13 movie because it's the body count by the end of the film is just basically almost everyone you see is laid out in in Mm -hmm. a street Having said that, I kind of like watching it because, wow, because you're not because you're not a twelve year old or Denzel, a thirteen year old. Well, I kind of am sometimes, <laughs> and Denzel's kind of a bad A in this film. Yeah. So I, I think there's something to look up to in this film, and then it hits its head on the ceiling, and it's never. This is not going to be an iconic great film, no. But I think it's a worthy film, and I think it's well worth the price of a ticket. Well, and I think it's it's an interesting not to compare, but you did bring up True Grit that mm-hmm. was redone a couple years ago with it was Jeff Bridges, right? Yeah, and Haley's Haley Steinfeld, Steinfeld, yeah, um, made her that famous. Was kind of the first thing, and that to me just seemed more like a western. Yeah, so this, well, well this, it was. This yeah. kind I mean there there was there was definitely like a like a like a sense of blazing saddles in this movie. <laughs> the, every once in a while you want Burton Gilliam to come in, into this movie and ride in and say more beans Mr. Tag. At one point someone actually did ask more beans and and I Around leaned over and said Mr. Taggart to you. Um it also I thought was kind of interesting just as as um as time progresses how you know 20 years ago 40 years ago uh how how the prostitutes and the how the how the brothel ladies would have been depicted mm-hmm. they'd still be clothed maybe the maybe their shirt sleeve was kind of falling off of their their shoulder or you know it wasn't just laid out for you whereas a, a, a prostitute in today's brothel of of Western time in the eighteen seventies, 
um, they're pretty much naked. Yeah, they're pretty much laid out. Which there. is yeah. not how, which yeah. I just think that's, it's interesting if this is supposed to be taking place in, in you know, back in the day. Yeah, that's why I think it's a pop culture look at what, uh, what, what a Western the pop culture in 2016 looks at the 1880s. Right. Well, and the woman, the, you know, the, the heroine, the one who goes mm-hmm. and, and recruits Denzel, like... Her boobies are hanging out the whole time, and she's supposed to be the scorned widow. Right, and that's not a sexual movie. And it's not at all. And, and but it's not just, is that like, do they have to do that to 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 attract an audience? I, th- I think that's a choice that Antoine Fuqua made. He did Training Day, and Denzel won his Oscar for that. Yeah. But he also did King Arthur with Clive Owen. Oh, and Keira Back Knightley. in 2004, yeah. and Keira Knightley. And the, and the, but he, I think They're he's just. Deep. I think it's kind of like Ocean's Eleven. It kind of is. I think they all just had a, with a, a lot really of guns. There's more guns and gunfire and and body counts and horses in this movie than in the entire state of Wyoming or in or in the museum in Cody, Wyoming. Well, and yes, yes. and I think that there there was just one other thing that kind of made me giggle, and that is that there are lots of scenes of all the men riding on their horses. Yes, lots of them. And and you see them kind of bouncing up and down in their saddles every now and then. But then when they when they take a shot of whiskey, it's like all of a sudden they, their horse has gone completely still. <laughs> Once again, the blazing saddle of reference. Very much so. Hey, let's get to some wine about this because we can talk about how all the mistakes in this movie, and yet we still like. So yeah, I thought it would be kind of fun to to pair with a with wines from a, a former gold California Gold Rush uh, area, the Sierra Foothills, um, that in. The Sierra Foothills of California have been growing grapes. I'm not saying that they were making quality wine, but they have mm-hmm. definitely been growing grapes since 1856. Wow. Um, many of the big fortune seekers that had come to to California for the gold rush were Europeans that that all had kind of a taste for wine, had always grown up with wine. They planted vineyards. Um, and then when when mining kind of fell apart and the mines closed down, then... Sierra Foothills were just kind of this kind of ragabond area. There were a bunch of prostitutes and bootleggers, and it was it was kind of a, 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 a crazy time. But um, in the seventies, in the nineteen seventies, the region actually kind of went through a major transformation. Um, they became a designated uh, American viticultural area, an AVA, and and things became really began to change because they the the people that started then planting grapes in the region figured out what would do well and and it's it's such a it's it's still very um, there's not a lot out there it's it's you know kind of vast barren land but. It's got great soils. It's granite and it's volcanic soils and it's sandy loam and it's elevations of a thousand to three thousand feet. And so the winemakers in the region that are doing things really well are, are making some pretty interesting and delicious wines that are also really affordable. And one of them that that I think early on and and when I started writing for D Magazine, I think the first interview that I did was with a gentleman named Bill Easton. He's a winemaker. He's with Terre Rouge Easton Winery. Um, in the in Sierra Nevada and uh, Amador County, Shenandoah Valley, his whole goal was to kind of create these very artisan, small production, like hundred cases, two hundred cases wines. They actually today make thirty different wines, focused on both Rhone varieties, so lots of Syrah based wines, as well as Zinfandel. And his Zinfandels are what I think have really kind of um, put this little winery 
on the map. His eastern estate, Zinfandel, Shenandoah Valley, vines were planted in the 1970s. It's lots of fruit-forward characteristics, um, fig, you know, kind of like ripe fig and ripe blackberry, um, lots of spice and and kind of some really lovely texture from from smart um, use of oak, which is always kind of a, a difficult thing with with Zimpendel. but really really kind of special wines and 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 like I said, some good values. I think his whole wine ranges the whole portfolio is maybe twenty to forty dollars. Oh, so it's all reasonably yeah, priced. some some really great yeah. wines for for the quality and then kind of what you what you find in the bottom. So if those uh, Zinfandel vines were planted in the seventies, would they be considered Old vines? You know, it, it's kind of that's. It, I don't know. Am I old? Um, but I am. You're not. <laughs> but that's most people when they say old vines, that that would be you know forty five years, forty six years old. Okay, so yeah. But I think when you think old vines, Infidel, um, that's more like seventy years old. That's more like ninety years old. That's kind of what what the old, really gnarly vines. But they're getting there. These are forty six years old. They're somewhere around, around there, around, in their forties. Right? In their forties. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good age to be. It's I've a heard. great age to be. I've I've heard that before. <laughs> hey, when we come back on wine and film, a perfect pairing. It's been four years since Eddie Murphy has actually made a film. He's back in a little movie about a personal chef, and his name is Mr. Church, and we'll be back. And we're back on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. You know, funny man Eddie Murphy, uh, used to interview him a lot, and and he made all these big, iconic films. He made a ton of bad films. He was nominated for an Oscar for Dreamgirls. He sat out for the last four years. I understand he has nine children, wow. including a new infant baby. So Go, he, Eddie. So he came back <laughs> to make this film because they shot it in a very short amount of time on a smaller budget than he's, he's used to, $100 million big, yeah. films. Yeah. I think this was an $8 million film, Mr. Church. We're talking about, and uh, but he did it because they could shoot it in 28 days, less than a month, and he could go home every night and be with his infant. Nice. So it's all it's all in a Los Angeles based movie. It's directed by Bruce Beresford. Now that should ring a bell. He did he directed Crimes of the Heart. Mm-hmm. He's done some really good films. He did Driving Miss Daisy and won the Oscar, and I think that was back in '89. Mm-hmm. He did Tender Mercies with Robert Duvall. One of the best Texas movies ever made. Uh, I think it was in 83. And he did an Australian film, because he's Australian, called Breaker Morant. And anybody that's older listening to this understands the greatness of Breaker Morant, which brought a lot of people to America and on the map from Australia. So along comes Mr. Church. Little tiny movie. Reminds me of a TV movie of the week. It's about an hour and 45 minutes long. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. Hmm. I kind of liked it in places. In fact, I was teary-eyed three or four times. And so he plays... The opening scene is a single mom played by Natasha McElhone, who's an Irish actress mm-hmm. who's seen a lot of films mm-hmm. with an American accent. And she's a single mom with a young daughter, six years old. And uh, she has terminal cancer. That's oh. the opening scene. And her ex-lover, not the father of the kid, because the father's not around. He's, he's dead. The ex-lover has just gifted her for the last six months of her life, free rent, and hired a full-time chef to come in and just kind of take care of them. And it's really sweet. And this guy shows up, and it's Eddie Murphy. And it's 1971. And this little girl goes, why is this man in my kitchen cooking? Well, it's Eddie Murphy. And he's real thoughtful and real quiet and says, yes, ma'am. Goes home every night and comes and cooks. Well, she lives past six months. She actually lives up into the daughter, into her teenage years. Nice. Into high school. And he stays on. And it's this really sweet story. That's just the first half of the movie. And I don't want to give away the second half. But I think it's one of those movies that's, 
has really big stars in it, a really great director. It's kind of overwritten, kind of belongs on a late night movie. But if you and I rented it, Haley, one night, if we just kind of looked on Netflix or we looked on iTunes and said, hey, what's Mr. Church? Hey, what's Eddie Murphy doing? It looks like it's real thoughtful. I would rent that film and I would enjoy that. So I think it's a good rental. I'm not sure it's a big theater movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't care what anybody thinks about Eddie Murphy, whether he needs to make a, you know, Dr. Doolittle five <laughs> or, you know, he just, he, I think Trading this, places. I think this is kind of a nice little thoughtful choice. It's not the best thing he's ever done, but it's certainly not the worst. Um, that Pluto, Pluto movie he made <gasps> is the worst. <laughs> But I thought he should have won the Oscar for Dreamgirls. I think he's really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. So I so liked it. I, does he know how to cook, though? Or is it just them kind of talking around cooking? So I I'm, wa- get to see I'm watching the food skills in this movie, and I think they're adequate. Okay. I, I never— he Does makes, he know how to chop? He makes eggs and omelets. <laughs> and he, he does. He makes—he chops. They always show a close-up of— I don't know if it's his hands yeah. or somebody else's, <laughs> but it seems confident. He's he seems like he knows what he's doing. There wasn't a moment in the movie where I where he didn't it, believe his knife skills. It, it, it broke the plane of of uh, believability because he, he has no idea. No, I felt the whole time that I, he was actually cooking. Nice, whether he did or not, and he probably didn't. But the food's good in it, and he also reads books and teaches the little girl to read uh, to read good literature. Hmm. Tess of the Durbervilles. Um, Moby Dick. She's, he's got this little kid growing up reading and he's a very art. Uh, he's a chef. He's in the seventies. He lives alone, comes and helps the family, believes in literature, believes in jazz music, plays piano. And so he's a very cultural guy mm-hmm. living in this family and teaches them a lot. And of course, in these kind of cliched movies, as much as he teaches them, they t- teach him. So that's kind of, it's, there's no real mystery to the movie. Right. It's, and it covers 30 years. And multi-generations. So, I like Mr. Church. Nice. It's a quiet little movie that I thought was admirable. I wouldn't, I wouldn't overpay for it. Does that, does that make sense? <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm kind of proud of Eddie Murphy for doing for this. For doing so. something that's probably rather not the norm. Not the norm. No. And I, th- I think that's going to help him down the road in some other parts, I think. Yeah. So, sounds like it's a film with a chef, but not necessarily about a chef. Yes. So, we're going to talk about a wine. <laughs> <laughs> from a winemaker who started as a chef, but then moved on to other things, because she too is an artist, and that's Mia Klein. Mia Klein uh, grew up Southern California, then moved to Northern California, uh, started as a chef and worked in, in restaurants throughout San Francisco, then decided to kind of follow her path and her passions into wine, which I totally personally relate to because at one point I thought I would be a chef and chose the wine path instead. So she was a chef in San Francisco. She so. and it, I, yes, she I mean, was she's working in a big in food city. Yeah, she was yeah. working in restaurants in in San Francisco okay. but then kind of wanted to follow her path. Um, went to UC Davis was a part of of kind of the early the early days of of Napa Valley women winemakers. Went to UC Davis with Pam Starr and Celia Welch and and kind of um started out she got she you know a lot of a lot of the women a lot of just winemakers in Napa in the time kind of right place right time got a job at Chapelet um, moved on to Coruscant um, while she was at Chapelet though she met one of of kind of who she's called one of her biggest mentors who is another winemaker that we love and that's Tony Soder who now has his Soder wines in Oregon but in Napa was a consultant for many great great producers um 
including his etude that he um, started in, in uh, Carneros with these great heirloom clones of Pinot Noir and his fantastic Cabernet that we love. But she um, she kind of quickly became uh, a go-to for for some of these what we think are today these iconic Napa Valley um, Cabernet. She she went to work with Tony and his consulting. Um, he taught her what she still I think says are kind of three of the most important things, and that is include you have to have great soil, you have to have the proper terroir, which basically is your soil and your climate and your your slope, the slope of the the terrain and the um, how how everything kind of comes together to create what would be the perfect um, the perfect grapes for the perfect wine. Um, you have to know when to pick because that was another thing back in the day in, in, in Napa Valley. Today, I think winemakers understand that you pick by taste, whereas a lot of winemakers really throughout throughout California, especially as, as some of these regions were trying to figure out who they were, they would just go by by the sugars of, of the fruit. And when, when you're basically it's your bricks, which are sugars that are converted into alcohol, um, hit a certain level, that's when you picked. And it didn't matter if the fruit was tasted good. That was just, you know, it was just kind of very um, going by the book instead of going more by feeling. And 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 then she she really knew how to how to not let anything get in the way of of making great wine. And I think that was another thing is as winemakers um, and and wineries kind of continue to to be bought and sold and go into bigger corporations and and you know back office people kind of come in and try to make you make you do things a certain way at the end of the day you kind of have to say no I'm here I'm here to make great wine and that's my focus me as the um over her career has been the winemaker for Spotswood for Viator for Del Valle for Arahu for Bressler has wow. her own yeah it's incredible incredible um Cabernet wineries in Napa has her Celine wines which I'm such a an incredible fan of small production and and she's just still so passionate. We were um, with her at the Kapalua Wine Festival, Food and Wine Festival last year, and I'm just you know it's it's I'm in awe of her. I just am such a fan, and and appreciate that she has stuck to her guns for so long, and and really produces some beautiful beautiful wines. Wow, I mean just the, uh, and because you don't name drop, but you just name drop yeah. a bunch of wines a, that just incredible. I wine. love some of them are very expensive, some of them are reasonable. Yeah. But you're gonna to run to the gamut. So her Celine is it Celine? Say, is that a real pricey boutique wine? Um, she she makes I think four or five different wines within uh, the portfolio, including a Cabernet Franc that is yeah. just I'm over the moon about. There and I mean you know hundred probably, but that's Napa Valley. It's Napa Valley fruit. So I, I think that if you it's it's probably not the cheapest you're gonna find, but no. it's not the most expensive. So if I'm gonna watch Mr. Church and I'm gonna pick one of these yes. wines she's worked on, yeah. oh I'm going with a rock. Right, right away. And I'd go with Viator any day of the oh, week. Well too. and I mean and Spotswood is incredible and yeah. Valley is, is incredible and we had an opportunity to taste it at Brussels several years ago and just fell in love with them. Yeah. They're you know, it's it's but I think it's because of the story and and the ability to to find great fruit and to make really good wine and let your vineyard shine and and don't do things by what a book might tell you to do or by what the chemistry might tell you to do but at the end of the day great winemaking is because of 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 how it feels and and it is an artistic thing and you have to you have to appreciate the art that goes into it 
I just love the idea that she was a chef turned into a winemaker. Yeah. That's really I, the, I think of you. I, <laughs> I, I could see you doing that. Some, I, well, let's just let's someday. just talk about wine. <laughs> well, you know, Mr. Church, uh, okay, film, uh, really great wine that you talked about. Hey, when wine and film, a perfect pairing returns, Haley and I will continue our conversation. I have some stories to tell about meeting and interviewing both Eddie Murphy and the great, and I want to be him when I grow up. Oh, yeah. Denzel Washington. We'll be back. And we're back on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. We're talking about wine and film and a little bit of everything in between. And Gary, you just uh, said you, I, I know that you've interviewed both Eddie Murphy and Denzel Washington for for so many years. Mm-hmm. And I know you want to talk about Eddie Murphy because you're great, but come on, like, let's talk Denzel. Oh, Denzel. I mean, the two most handsome people in the world I've inter- ever interviewed as men. I'm a flaming heterosexual, <laughs> and I'm sitting across the chair from either George Clooney or Denzel Washington, and I want to be both of those guys for a day. <laughs> just put a gap in their teeth and send them, <laughs> send them on. Honey, but, you're perfect just as you are. You know, Denzel Washington is just one of the most gracious. I, I've been interviewing him for 25 years. Is he gracious? Is he a good Gracious. Oh, looks you in the eye. I mean, really, literally, if you're going to list the five best people to talk to in the world, and his wife's a painter. His wife's an artist. And he's just generous in conversation. He's, he's a lot like George Clooney in that he's kind of aware how famous he is, but never mentions it. Mm-hmm. And if he does, he makes fun of it. Mm-hmm. But, but he's just so good. I mean, I like, he should have won the Oscar for Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. He did not, he won for Training Day. He won, he won for the wrong film. He's so great in American Gangster that I, I can't take my eyes off him, but I've always liked him. He hasn't always been in great films. But he has a film coming out Christmas Day called Fences, which is an August Wilson play that James Earl Jones yeah. won the Tony Award yeah, on, Broadway on Broadway for. for Absolutely. And I've been waiting for this movie to be made for years. And for years, Eddie Murphy wanted to do this film. Ooh. But it kind of outgrew him. And now it's Denzel doing it. And Denzel just— How re- old is Denzel? Oh, good question. Got to be 60, close to 60. Late fit, probably late fifties. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm making stuff up here because I don't really don't know his age. Fifty-seven. Him and Eddie, Eddie are both probably both, both in their mid fifties. But Denzel's always been the guy for me that I always. You can put him in almost any film. You don't have to. You don't have to cast him in in any kind of box. He can be the good guy, the bad guy. That's just it because he can he can be the yeah. coach and remember the Titans. Yep. And then he can be like crazy alcoholic. Yes. Airline pilot in flight. Oh, in flight. And he's so good in flight. And then he can be like crazy drug dealer. Yeah. And and so it's Yeah, and he, he can be that bad cop in oh, training yeah. day and oh, won an yeah. Oscar. You know, he goes all the way back to glory. That, oh, that wonderful yes, Civil with, War film. Um, with, with, with Morgan Freeman. With Morgan Freeman and Matthew Broderick. Yeah. So I, I like him. So Eddie Murphy comes along and I started I've interviewed Denzel probably twenty times. But Eddie Murphy, maybe five, because sometimes he wouldn't show up. <laughs> and I remember asking Eddie Murphy once in an interview because Halle Berry ran off and did a little film called Monsters Ball and won the Oscars. Absolutely, Eddie yeah. Murphy did giant $100 million films, and it was never nominated for anything. But and, they weren't, were they? They're <laughs> well, I said to him I, in an interview, I said, Do, have you ever wanted to not worry about making money and taking care of everybody? Because all of his family works on all this stuff. And just do a film for the love of doing it and maybe do something better. And he looked at me and go, why would I, why would I not, why would I ever do that when I can have my own trailer and all my own stuff? 
So it, it said a lot to me because he he's wasn't a, he's branching okay out. With, yeah, he's okay with just making money. Well, and then he started, and then after that, he did Dream Girls because he's not the star of Dream Girls. He's one of them in Dream Girls. And I thought, oh, all right, he finally got it. And then with, even with Mr. Church doing something small, he didn't make any money on Mr. Church or his normal stuff. I mean, he's a $20 million guy. Mr. Mm-hmm. Church was made for eight. Mm-hmm. So he made nothing on it. And uh, so once I'm in an interview with him, this is my worst day ever in interview. So every once in a while, I'm horrible at what I do. And I remember walking to, it was one of the Dr. Doolittle movies or one of those movies. And I, I, and he talked about himself in the third person. He talked, <laughs> called himself Mr. Eddie Murphy. Oh my God. And I, and, and, uh, <laughs> and I said, the first thing I said out of my mouth is, I was surprised that you made me laugh in this movie. And I wanted to take all the words back. It was just off day for me. And he looked at me and in the third person said, so you're surprised you laughed at an Eddie Murphy comedy? And I said, well, that's not what I meant. What I meant was I, I was really excited that this was funny. Well, why does that surprise you? And then by the end of the horrible— Just stop. Just end, of the, yeah. end of the horrible <laughs> interview, and I'll end with this. I said to him, thanks again for making me laugh. And he said, blank you. Blank you. Blank you. <laughs> and I deserved it. This is one of the worst interviews of Man, my life. Did you get that on camera? You know, I'm not sitting here. I'm not trying to fall. I'm just trying to ask questions, and I shouldn't talk about my feelings in an interview. And you just kind of get into trouble when you do that. So, yeah, that was that was it for me, for at least Denzel. So I have a question for you. So harvest season, and you mentioned this about about harvest and picking at bricks and picking yeah. at certain times. We're in full swing in harvest now yeah. for one. Yeah. In fact, some of it's pretty much already over. How is the 2000? And sixteen vintage shaping up. Let's talk about America first, and then maybe Europe after that. So, how are we? How is the vintage now? Well, I think it is interesting because, um, and thanks, that's a good question. Uh, it's early. I and think every that once in a while, I have a little knowledge. of You why. know everything. Um, I have a little knowledge, but I think that it's it's as an overall what we've seen every year for the last probably ten years is every year it gets a little earlier. Um, I think that that's why the whole Riesling discussion we had a few weeks ago is so interesting because Riesling will probably be grown in like the hottest in 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 a hundred years Riesling's going to be grown in like what is now desert land or wow. something because it's it, you know the cool weather varieties are what we're going to end up meeting because it's things are getting so much earlier and are you saying earlier because of it's global warming global is real warming? people it's, it's real in the wine industry and you really for yeah I so. think that in in the agriculture industry as a whole you really see that and so um, I think it was a little bit earlier I know that that some regions started. Um, earlier than normal texas being being one for some of the the vineyards um i think um california napa in particular thankfully they had some good rain early um in in the the year so kind of winter rains filled the reservoirs and and helped things but you know i, I still think that they're struggling but I, I think that it's but it could be a good year i for think napa. it's going to be you know i think that that 10 and 11 were not very good i think 12 13 Twelve and thirteen were great. Yes. Um, Twelve was was a little bit smaller. Thirteen um, was was big, and or I think both twelve and thirteen were both big and high quality. I think fourteen was a little bit smaller, but still really good quality. And fifteen um, was, from what I understand, great concentration. I think that the drought was kind of hurting some of fifteen, but I think that that's now been helped this year. So. I think it'll be nice and and good quality as well as 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 good quantity, which is something that that we love. Um, By the and, way, I light up when I see a twelve. When I yeah, see a twelve yeah. Napa Cab, 
I just kind of well, it. and I think that's exciting because a lot of the the some are releasing their some wineries are releasing their 2012s now. Some are releasing the 13s, and they're they're incredible. And yeah. and some wineries are already on to their 14s. So it's always interesting to see how um, how long a, a winery will hold this wine or that wine um, to make sure that it has both proper oak aging as well as bottle aging before it actually uh, is put out into the marketplace because we do live in a, a culture where if you people aren't buying wine to store in their cellars anymore they're buying wine to consume upon you know right upon release or right when they buy it so it, it's, raise your hand yeah well i think that wineries yeah. are as a whole they yeah. just are having to 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 take that into account that people aren't um, buying wines to store, they're buying wines to drink, and and so the time that that a winery might deliver or might put the the wines out for release kind of has changed a little bit. Also, is this a good year for Oregon Northwest? I think so. Um, when we were up in, I, I was up in Walla Walla earlier this year in in Washington, and it it's definitely dry. But that's the whole thing about about Washington is as long as you've got water rights, then you can. It's always dry. It's it's desert land. People think Washington, they think Seattle, and and Walla Walla is dry and uh, hot West, and hundred degrees. Eastern and, Washington and Oregon are dry. Yeah, very yeah. dry. So it's interesting. I think. Okay, it's Europe. Well, we we covered a little bit of America, but Europe. Um. It, so it, France, I know, is is going to have a, a pretty difficult year. They had some some pretty bad uh, hail and spring frost it's, that will affect France as a whole. Um, I think that there's projecting 8 to 10% down. Um, Champagne was one of the regions hit particularly hard. Um, I think they're projecting or projecting about 30 to 35% um, production down um, wow. this year. And Loire Valley, and Loire's kind of a, that makes me sad also because there's been, um, I, I read an article not too long ago that I thought was kind of fascinating um, in Decanter Magazine about uh, there, there's kind of a there's kind of a war in Sancerre going on right now in the Loire Valley because there are the the AOC wines, so kind of their their designated um, the the highest quality wines coming out that that have a designation. Um, the producers of these AOC wines are are trying to fight some of the the outlying areas that want to plant Sauvignon Blanc grapes in an area that's not an AOC region that would basically be mm. just like a table wine. And um, some of the the producers, like within Sancerre, within um, Puy Fume, uh, want to fight this because I think that the thought is that, well, if you have a Sauvignon Blanc from a, just like in, from a, a table wine region, like their IGP wines, um, which is the Vendipas, the the kind of just the table wines from the region, not a, an actual designate, that they'll take, they'll be less expensive, and mm. so they might actually take consumers from them. And and there's one I think that there was a there were about three three thousand no sorry six up to six thousand vines in one particular vineyard were were uprooted by vandals and no, they somebody, stole, somebody stole a whole bunch of, of brand new vines in one of these kind of hmm. um, outlying areas and and the the IGP Val de Loire um, and and so it's this horrible sabotage and it's just it's just a, a it's an interesting conversation and then to have Production as a whole down, and then to think that that they're also fighting amongst each other on you know who can grow what where. It's it's 
I'd send in a nanosecond, I would send uh, Denzel Washington as an investigator (laughs) over to Loire and investigate this. And solve it. Not on a horse, but in a nice suit, because that is one handsome man. Hey, next week on Wine and Film, A Perfect Parent, Oscar winner Lupita Longo and David Oyelowo stars in one of the most meaningful films we've seen so far this Mm. year. It's the true story of a young girl living in poverty in Uganda, and wouldn't you know it, she changes her life by learning to play chess. It's a surprising Disney film, and it's directed by the great Mira Nair from India, and it's called... Queen of Katwe, and I really love this film. Yeah, um, and we'll talk the Lone Star Le Mans. We had uh, it's an exhilarating racing event that we had a chance to attend last weekend in Austin as a guest of uh, Zonin eighteen twenty one. Their um, the Prosecco sparkling wine from Zonin, we we love and had a chance to to go down there and 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 see their Ferrari race car, and it was it was pretty cool. So I bet we'll have some racing films to to pair with that also. Me <laughs> me. So, they don't have horns on those cars. But for now, if you'd like any more on any of the wines or films we talked about today, please follow our blog on coldgillconsulting.com. And to see what we're drinking and seeing now, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Dallas Uncorked and Gary on Twitter at Gary Cogill. And with that, I'm Gary Cogill, and as usual, I'm looking for the next great film. And I'm Haley Hamilton Cogill, and I'm always in search of a great glass of wine. You can join us next time on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.